Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. Winter is coming. Heavy rain, sleet, snow, and ice. Are your tires up for the challenge? In the season's worst conditions, winter tires are a game changer. They elevate traction, control, and confidence. They sell only the best, like the full line of hand-cooked tires. Go to TireRack.com slash sports. Tell them what you drive. Your tires will ship fast and free to your one of over 10,000 recommended installers. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. Welcome in Fox Sports Radio Studios brought to you by Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit Geico.com for a free rate quote and... Duralast batteries, proven tough and designed to stand up to even the most extreme weather conditions with patented technology to deliver the most power during startup. Get in the zone. AutoZone, always in the zone here on Outkick the Coverage. And you know who else is in the zone? Manu Ginobili, evidently. The guy has been a member of the San Antonio Spurs since all the way back in July, I believe, of 1999. That was the time in which he was drafted by the San Antonio Spurs, and he made one of the best plays probably of the year in the NBA on defense, particularly when you consider how James Harden flops his body around everywhere and the frequency with which Harden draws contact. As Harden rose up to attempt the three-point shot there to win the game, Manu Ginobili somehow found himself behind James Harden And you know how hard, even if you just played pickup basketball, you know how hard it is to block a shot from behind as opposed to in front in real time. And spectacularly, Ginobili managed to block perfectly that shot, and it was fabulous, just all ball. And as a result, probably the Spurs are going to overcome the Tony Parker injury. They're probably going to overcome the Kawhi Leonard uh, sprained ankle that kept him out much of the fourth quarter and for the final possession and all of overtime. And they're going to overcome, remarkably, one of the worst possessions that you will ever see from a Greg Popovich coach team with a chance to win the game at the end of the uh, regulation. Just finally, a really good basketball game in the NBA playoffs. Now, I don't think it matters in the grand scheme of things, 
and I don't think there's any uh, any aspects uh, at all at play here. But man, what a spectacular performance all around! I'll bring in Danny G and Justin. How surprised were you that Manu Ginobili could make that play at the age of 39, nearly whatever it is, 18 years after he was initially drafted? And that James Harden was so shocked, I think, that the shot was blocked (laughs) that he didn't even think to try to flop and draw the call. Now, I mean, he still at the end was like, oh. But, I mean, compared to how James Harden usually flops, I think it was such a clean block that he was stunned. Yeah, good for him. A dude around our age, Clay, who has a huge bald spot on his head. And to quote my girlfriend who was watching the game with me, He's still playing? Yes. And I'm like, There's a lot yeah. of people, yes. And at a high level at that, and you see the big smile on Kawhi Leonard's face, and he was limping to the locker room, says he's going to play in the next game. But, I mean, for them to do that without Leonard on the floor, pretty amazing. Yeah, I don't know how seriously injured Kawhi Leonard is. A part of me thinks if he's got any kind of serious ankle injury at all, you sit him out for game six, give your best shot on the road at Houston, and then hope he's back close to 100% for Game 7, as opposed to try to bring him back early, assuming that it's a, it's a bad injury. And, and by the way, if it's not a bad injury, can you imagine? Can you imagine what the reaction would have been everywhere if that were LeBron James sitting out for the final possession and also all of overtime? Now, I'm not, I don't know how badly injured Kawhi Leonard is, but he was okay enough to play for large portions of the fourth quarter. And if he's okay to come back by game six, he's not really that badly hurt in the grand scheme of things. Uh, to me, again, if he's if he's got serious ankle issues, I would hold him out of game six, go ahead and give my best shot and hope I could win game six on the road in Houston, but really bring him back and hope that he's 100% healthy for game seven. As I said yesterday, I don't really think this matters. Which of these two teams do you think would be easier to play if you're the Warriors? I kind of think it's the Spurs right now because the Spurs seem unhealthy there seem like there are issues out there for them Uh, obviously we don't know the full extent of Tony Parker's injuries Kawhi Leonard battling an injury and they just don't seem as fast or able to score points in bunches whereas the Rockets if they get hot I don't know how many three-pointers they attempted it seemed like almost 50 in that game if the Rockets get hot they can score large point large number of points in rapid fashion but I don't necessarily think it matters I think either of these teams are going to get beat in five games by the Warriors. As rested as the Warriors are, the fact that they'll win, I think, game one and game two, I think they'll lose one on the road, then I think they'll come back and close it out. I think that's exactly how this series is going to go, whether they're playing the Rockets or the Spurs. But we've been so desperate for a good game that I don't want to just throw cold water all over the game that we just witnessed. A really big win for the Spurs, Greg Popovich, and in particular... Manu Ginobili, who was sitting so far down on the end of the bench that you had no idea whether or not he was ever going to make a play again that thrust him into the limelight. The uh, oldest, baldest dude in the NBA making maybe the best defensive play of the entire NBA playoffs. And you know somewhere Tim Duncan was thinking, man, I should have never retired. You know somewhere Kobe Bryant was thinking, man, I should have never retired. This is a guy, Manu Ginobili, who was drafted all the way back in 1999. What do you guys think, uh, Danny G and Justin, in terms of which team is better for the Warriors to play? Does it matter? Better for the opponent or better for us to watch on TV? 
Well, I mean, just in terms of actually being a decent series, is there a team that can win two games against the Warriors? I think if you've got a healthy Kawhi, then I would go with the Spurs. See, I, I think it's I, I think the Rockets are better. I think they match up better, but I don't think it matters in the grand scheme of things because I think both teams are going to lose four out of five games. So I think it's going to be a five-game series, and the Warriors might sweep them given all the rest and everything else that they're facing and, and how beaten up the Spurs are. Uh, that is a uh, that is a brutal situation potentially to uh, to have to make uh, a play on. Jason Martin at Jmart Outkick. Which one do you think is more of a challenge for the Warriors? Spurs play better defense, but the Rockets are the only team that I've seen in the entire postseason that can actually score with the Golden State Warriors, especially when they're on from distance. Now losing Nene really does harm their ability to do damage down inside the paint, even with Capella playing pretty well. The thing that was stunning about last night was the age seemed to be on the other side of the court. The Rockets were beat, especially by the time they got to overtime. Harden looked gassed. Awful possession. Every every overtime possession was awful, it felt like to me. I mean, there were points that were scored at times, but the Rockets literally dribbled around the top of the key for oftentimes 20 seconds. I mean, there was one possession in overtime that I think was the most indefensible of all, which was it seemed like James Harden was expecting a screen, and then no screen ever came, and it's like you could see the frustration in his face, and then he just jacked up a you know 34-footer or whatever it was, and they never did anything at all in terms of offensive sets. I don't know if they were tired. I don't know if Mike D'Antoni needs to take charge there and maybe set up more defined plays. You know, I think the NBA is always interesting because I think – it's almost like you have a uh, a design for what you're trying to do, but oftentimes they don't implement specific plays. Does that make sense? Like we're going to run a pick and roll at the top of the key. Like there aren't a lot. It's not like the uh, college basketball, which I think is overcoached very many times, where a coach will diagram a play. In the NBA, I don't think they spend as much time doing that. You know, they do it sometimes coming out of timeouts. But I thought the Rockets needed more aggressive coaching in overtime than they got. And D'Antoni was saying, no, no, you guys just go ahead and do what we've done before, run our typical sets. And instead, the Rockets fell apart. I don't know if they were tired. I don't know if the Spurs took their defense to a different level. Uh, I, I haven't been able to break down the film. All I know is that they tried to get bailed out. The Rockets did. That was their game to win. In, in all honesty, the Rockets, I think, should have won that game. The Spurs couldn't hit anything for about five minutes down the stretch in the fourth quarter, and the Rockets couldn't either, couldn't put that white game away, couldn't create any space. And then in overtime, I still felt like it was their game to win, and they couldn't do anything. And uh, if you're a Rockets fan, given the fact that 88% of the time, whoever wins game five wins this series, got to be a little bit sick. Again, I don't think it matters in the grand scheme of things because I don't think either one of these teams is beating the Warriors. But it is a step to advance to the Western Conference Finals, even if you end up losing there. Yeah, I agree. And, I mean, this was sort of a, a strange game in a lot of respects. I do think they were tired, meaning Houston in overtime. But you look at some of the performances last night. Ginobili, of course, turns the clock back. That's what a great player does when he knows that this is going to be it. Maybe he can give you a couple of good games. So he goes out there and he gives you 12. He gives you five assists. He gives you seven boards. But LaMarcus Aldridge had given San Antonio precisely nothing in the postseason, and he goes out and gives you 18 and 14 last night. Patty Mills with 20. They had six guys in double figures, and then on the other side, you only get 17 between Eric Gordon and Lou Williams. So it just it just played out well for the Spurs, and even though I think the Rockets are the better series, I don't think Houston can win two in a row against San Antonio right now. They had to win that game last night because, as you said, Clay, that was their game. 
and they let it slip through their fingers. I don't think you can do that against Greg Popovich and hope to win both Game 6 and Game 7 against San Antonio, even when they're a little bit depleted. Presumably, Kawhi Leonard is right, and he's actually going to play in Game 6. Now, if he doesn't, that might change it. Maybe we get a Game 7 out of it. But I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news or to agree with everybody else, but we're still just watching a series. These guys are now killing each other to see who's going to get beheaded in the Western Conference Finals. Who, how much criticism would LeBron James get if he had set out like Kawhi Leonard did? Let's go around the horn. Start with you, Jason Martin. How much criticism is LeBron James getting today? Because, I, I look, I, I don't ever like to say somebody's not hurt that bad. Do you compare what, I mean, it looked like to me as he went off the court, Kawhi Leonard was doing that, like, like I'm going to exaggerate my limp move. I mean, he mm. played, I'm not saying that he was 100%. I'm not saying that he was extraordinary when he was on the court. But it wasn't like he was so utterly injured that it was impossible for him to play. Not to come in at the end in the final 11 seconds and at least distract somebody to me was crazy. Now, maybe Popovich just has complete control of that team and he told Kawhi, no, no, you're not going out there at all. But he played him a lot during the fourth quarter, so I don't know whose decision that was. But at a minimum, even if he's injured, somebody has to give a full man to him, right? You can't double like they did down the stretch. They can't, like... I mean, you're not trying to run a pick and roll, whatever you're trying to do with Pau Gasol there that didn't happen. I mean, it was just an ugly, ugly possession. I think you have to have him out there on the court. If this were LeBron James, he would be getting crushed today. Any doubt about that? No, not at all. I mean, he's always going to take a higher level of critique than anybody else in the NBA because he's LeBron James, because he's on the Mount Rushmore, at least certainly of the current generation of NBA players and kind of the guy. So he's always going to take more criticism than anybody else is. Kawhi gives you 22 and 15, but I do think it's strange that he wasn't out there for the last 11 seconds. Maybe he's he was more dinged up than we thought. But if that's true, then how can he come back in game six? That's a good point. I mean, but, the, you know, a lot of players are going to say, oh, I can go. And then you find out the doctors will tell you, no, you actually can't go. Like right, he and wants I understand. to play. Maybe that ends up being the case. If he plays in game six, it definitely makes me think, wait, why can you play in game six? and you were totally unable to go in the final 11 seconds of this game. Fair or foul to ask that question, Danny G and Justin? Yeah, while I was watching the fourth quarter, I had the same thought as you, Clay, but when you saw him sitting on the bench, did you see him with the blue strip stretching his ankle out? And then when he was on the court, it looked like he was trying to work it out. So maybe that's why he was there, because he thought he could go, and he just couldn't do it. But the, one of the thoughts on my mind was, well, are they saving him? Uh, you know, Are they being extra cautious so that he can go for Game 6? But you're right. I mean, if he comes back and plays in Game 6 on Thursday night in Houston, to me that's a sign that the injury wasn't that severe, right? And again, I'm not saying you need to run an entire offensive set for him. But when he's been in the game for many different possessions in the fourth quarter and you have 11 seconds left, you can at least put him over in a corner and make somebody have to respect what he's going to do. I mean, you can't tell me that he's not more valuable than the five guys they had on the court at that time and or that he's not capable of elevating and at least putting up a shot. I mean, again, if the ball gets kicked to him, I was just I was just very surprised to see him sit out and then I'm surprised to say he's going to see he says he's going to play in game six. Now, maybe that's just... You know, him in the bravado of, oh, yeah, I'm going to go, and, and the Spurs are going to sit back and say, oh, no, you're not. And he's going to sit out game six and then come back healthy, presumably, for a game seven. I don't know. I just thought it was very strange that he wasn't in the game if he's capable of playing on Thursday. 
again, maybe that's being too uh, too critical. But when you saw how bad that possession was with 11 seconds to go for the Spurs, for a Greg Popovich coach team to not even get a shot off with 11 seconds to play there, I mean, I think that's a sign of how much this team revolves around Kawhi Leonard in moments when they need buckets. We'll go to your calls if you want to. Bottom of the hour, we're going to talk to John Campbell. If you're wondering what the lineup for the show is, hour two, we always talk to my guy Jeff Schwartz, and then hour three, it's uh, all it's the anonymous mailbag. I'm Clay Travis. You're listening to Outkeep the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios, great news. There's a quick way you could save money. Switch to Geico. Go to geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. David E. Habacker on Twitter says, Wrong your, of course. You're still crying about fire ants on your foot from two years ago, and you question a pro's ankle. Well, first of all, that was this past Christmas season, and I'm lucky to be alive. I stood in a fire ant hill while I was peeing, and I was mauled by the fire ants. A lesser man would be dead. <laughs> if that had happened to Jim Rome or Mike Florio, dead right now. No doubt, fire ants would have killed them, devoured their carcasses, their bodies. Each of those guys weighs 120 pounds, bench presses about 45, the bar on a good day. Both of those men would be dead. Both those guys have radio shows nationally. They'd be dead. It's only my incredible constitution and my inability to stare any injury in the face and be impacted by it that is allowing me to speak to you today as a live man. You don't and I'll tell want you right to make now, an enemy out of me. Yeah, exactly. You don't want to make an enemy out of me. Uh, I'll tell you right now, if this were LeBron James and LeBron James had pulled himself out of the game decided to sit out for the final 11 seconds and then stayed out for the entire overtime. And then in the post game, he had said, I'll be fine. I'll play on Thursday. Everybody out there would be crushing him beyond belief. Kawhi Leonard is a beneficiary of playing in San Antonio. Yeah, you may not get significant MVP attention, even though you're a great player, but you also don't get criticized for anything. Same thing with Greg Popovich, by the way. His team not getting a shot off in the final 11 seconds. People are like, okay, that's okay. That happens. Like That's indefensible. For an NBA team in game five, if the Spurs had lost this game, I don't care what your players did, it is indefensible for the Spurs not to even get a shot off. But Greg Popovich happens to him. Same thing when he pulls Tim Duncan out. Anything Greg Popovich does, people just say, oh, that's Pop. He's a smart guy. But if Kawhi Leonard, this exact same situation happened in Game 5 of a incredibly must-win series for LeBron James. Just think about this. If that exact same situation happens when the Cavs and the Warriors play in Game 5 of the NBA Finals, let's assume it's going to go five games, let's assume that it's basically an even game, and in the final seconds of that game, 11 seconds to play, the Cavs have the ball with a chance to win the game win game five, and 88% of the time in the NBA, the team that wins game five goes on to win the series because the other team has to win game six and game seven. So let's assume that whatever happens in game five is likely to dictate the series, and LeBron James does not play in that final 11 seconds, and then he doesn't play for the entirety of overtime. And instead of winning, let's say that the Spurs slash Cavs in this scenario actually end up losing, LeBron James gets criticized to the high heavens. 
as is, is anybody even going to mention Kawhi Leonard not playing other than me on national sports talk radio? I'm not sure. Maybe tons of other people will focus on it as well. But if this were LeBron James, open phone lines, everybody would be all over him. 100%, right? Let's go around the horn. Any doubt on that, Jason Martin? If this were LeBron James and he pulled himself out with 11 seconds left and then said, I'll be good to go on Thursday and didn't play for the entire overtime, any chance at all that LeBron James doesn't get crushed? I mean, no. I mean, obviously he's going to get crushed. If you recall the cramp game, people talked about that for days and days and days after the fact. The one thing I will ask you, though, is like, do you not believe Kawhi Leonard's the kind of guy? He's never shown me anything to let him know he was soft. That goes back to San Diego. You know, that goes back to his days at San Diego State. That, that's a really, really tough guy. I feel like he's not somebody that would have kept himself out of that game. I feel like he would have tried to get out there if he possibly could. I'm giving Kawhi what, but Leonard what the happens, benefit of the doubt. What happens that he can't get out there for the final? 11 I, mean, I don't seconds. know. Somebody I don't pull know, up the, somebody, his legs. Somebody pull up the play by play. I'm saying that there's nothing. In terms of his being on the court for possessions, I understand if you can't move very well and you pull him out for the defensive possessions, right? I understand why he would be out there. He's not moving laterally very well. You can go offense-defense. I understand completely why he may not be on the court if they'd have an 11-second situation and they need to get a stop, right? But on offense, where you are the aggressor and where you dictate what happens, I just think it's really surprising that he went for so much of the fourth quarter and then on the final possession, when the Spurs can put the game away, he doesn't play at all. Then he doesn't play in the entire overtime. And then he comes back and says, oh, I'm going to play in game six. That seems really strange. Now, maybe I mean, he's not going to play in game six. I mean, it could be strange, but the only thing that, that backs my side up if I'm trying to buy into Kawhi Leonard is, it's not like Kawhi Leonard left the game with two points and four rebounds and was struggling. I mean, dude had 22 points and 15 rebounds. It's not as if he was jaking it or having a rough night and all of a sudden pulled himself out. He was having another great Kawhi all of that Leonard all-around night. Well, LeBron James could have gone for 39, 15, and 12. And if he didn't play for the final 11 seconds or overtime, he would get crushed. I mean, he would if he, totally unless he was actually legitimately injured. I mean, if you take the totally guy out, then different I, standard. He didn't. Like, the one thing that you said that I do disagree with is when you said, how does he take himself out and then say he can play in game six? It's like those two things didn't happen at the same time. He could have been in pain and then afterwards decided maybe it was a little better. Or again, he's just a gamer and he says he's going to play and the Spurs are going to hold him out in game six, whether it's precautionary or because it's legitimate. I'm, those two things not happening at the same time, things change. Circumstances change. So that I just I'm going to stick on Kawhi's side here. So I guess we just find ourselves on different sides of the aisle on this. Let's one. go to the audio on Kawhi Leonard talking after the game. Uh, it's a little sore, but um, I mean, my teammates did a good job of closing out that game uh, with me not being able to go that last stretch. It was frustrating because I want to play, and uh, but like I said, I was happy uh, seeing my teammates out there putting in a good effort and getting the win. LeBron James says those exact things. He gets crushed to the high heavens. Any disagreement, Danny G and Justin? No, I don't agree with you uh, or disagree with you at all. I think he definitely would get destroyed. But I think it's kind of like a uh, the boy who cried wolf kind of thing. It's it's due to his reputation. The, the- all right, that's a decent argument because LeBron James has for the past several years like played up every injury like uh, the, the the dehydration situation would happen when they suddenly didn't have air conditioning in the stadium uh, there at the at the Spurs arena I believe it was like 
there are a lot of people out there who already believe that LeBron James is a bitch, so this just confirms the belief that he <laughs> yeah. was a bitch or is a bitch. Right, and even if it's completely valid, like you know, a, a totally legit injury, he would still get roasted because of that. Yeah, I think that's the best argument. That's the best argument is that LeBron James has given us a history of malingering, of whining, of just not the belief, even though he's the biggest, strongest guy in the entire NBA. I think there's a lot of you out there that would say, yeah, he's not the toughest. Let's go. We're going to go with John Campbell here in a minute. Every single Wednesday, we try to get you some gambling tips uh, with the NHL still progressing as well as the NBA and more. Let's go to John Campbell, but first, let's figure out what's trending now. Welcome back. Fox Sports Radio Studios brought to you by GEICO. It's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with GEICO. Go to GEICO.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. And with TrueCar, you can find out what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for and on average save over three grand off MSRP. Whether you're looking for a new or used car, visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience we bring in now my guy john campbell from odd shark you can go check him out at oddshark.com lots of gambling to be got to and uh john let's start with the kentucky derby the kentucky derby favorite i believe has won five straight years how much better would the world of american sports be if gambling on american sports were as easy as it is to gamble on the kentucky derby yeah, I, I think a lot better. I think uh, I think it's inevitable, but uh, it, that's a conversation that that always tends to come up with with events like the Kentucky Derby. I think guys who who love to throw a few bucks on on an NBA game uh, see the hats and the mint, mint juleps going, and and they sit there and go, "Why can't I do this?" Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt at all. Mint juleps and gambling go together uh, like a piece in a pod. Uh, okay, the NBA, we just saw the Spurs win game five. 88% of the time, the team that wins game five goes on to win the series. It, are the odds makers also making the Spurs as prohibitive of a favorite as you would suggest based on that data, given the fact they just went up 3-2 last night? No, uh, well, Houston's... Uh six and a half here well it's a six and a half point line so um i mean it, game five is huge but houston's just killing these guys in transition they did it again last night they're grabbing rebounds running up the floor and draining threes and they covered the spread even though the game went to overtime and uh they're just giving the spurs a way harder time i think than than anybody thought uh so i mean this has been a great series i think it's been the best one so far so they're favored in game six by six and a half points. So the odds makers are projecting that they would come back to, to San Antonio for game seven. What would that line look like in game seven? I think it's going to be a lot tighter. I mean, home court, uh, home court is, is, is huge in this series, but I think it's going to be a lot tighter. I think we're probably looking at three and a half, four, uh, something like that for game seven. The other series that's still going on is obviously the Wizards who go on the road tonight against the Celtics in a 2-2 series. The Celtics are favored in this game. What do you expect to see? I Well, the home team has, has really killed it in this series. They won the last eight meetings, won and covered the last eight meetings. Uh, so I think we're going to see we're going to see some home money come in, but I, I really think the Wizards have have uh, figured something out here. They've they've been able to slow Isaiah Thomas, and and I think them getting four and a half. I think that's a little too generous. I, I kind of like the Wizards here. I think it's going to buck the trend, and, and they're going to cover this one. Does it matter 
Does it matter who wins the Eastern Conference uh, and advances to the finals against uh, the Cavs? Does it matter who wins this series in the Western Conference and advances against the Warriors? How prohibitive of a favorite are the Cavs and the Warriors, no matter who they're playing in the uh, finals of their respective conferences? Yeah, they're, they're going to be pretty heavy favorites. It, it, it doesn't matter too much. I think especially the Cavs, uh, they're going to be favored um, no matter who they play uh, by more than, than uh, Golden State will be. And uh, everyone's expecting the Cavs and Warriors to be in the finals, of course. The, the, uh, the line was minus 280 earlier in the week, and it went up to minus 350 for that matchup to be in the finals and uh, versus any other matchup it's been uh, close to 3-1. to one. So, yeah, that, that, that's pretty great. So minus 350 for people out there who maybe not spend a lot of time with odds. And we're talking to John Campbell. He's at oddshark.com. You can check him out there for all of his write-ups about uh, gambling uh, respectabilities there. We're talking about a prohibit. I mean, like, what does minus 350 mean from a percentage chance, roughly, in terms of the odds that we're going to see the Cavs Warriors in the finals? Um, it's Well, it, for anybody who isn't familiar with, with uh, the betting side of things, it's risking $350 to win 100 So I, I'm not the greatest with betting percentages. I, I, I don't like them a whole lot. I, I, but, um, but, I mean, that's, that's a huge – that's a really huge favorite. That means it's, it's going to happen, basically. Um, and we're talking about the Cavs-Warriors. Okay, these two teams play in the finals. How much of a favorite are the Warriors? Well, last year when when they played, the the lines were between two and six and a half points, and I think I think we'll see that again here. Maybe game one, favored by three and a half, four, something like that. And and Durant, of course, wasn't there last year, but he's he's here this year. I think we'll see a lot of Cavs money, and I think I think the Warriors they'll protect themselves. Book, books will protect themselves a little bit more. Might be four point favorites when they probably should be three point favorites. We're talking to John Campbell. He's at oddshark.com. Okay, we've got two Game 7s going on tonight in hockey. You're in Canada. This is the ultimate dream come true for a Canadian. (laughs) Penguins play at the Caps. That series is tied at 3-3. I'm not a hockey expert, but I know that the the Capitals have had a particularly star-crossed playoff tenure. They went down 3-1 in this series, have won two more to bring it back home. And then the Oilers going up against the Ducks. The winner will play the Nashville Predators. Uh, what do we think about in both these games? I'm looking at the numbers right now. Washington is a massive minus 180 favorite. The Caps are in tonight's game, which probably makes anybody who's a Caps fan nervous. And then uh, more evenly, the Ducks playing at home, Anaheim minus around 115 or 117 to be favored. Do you like the home teams both in game seven? How much does it matter to be on home ice? Uh, it matters. It matters quite a bit. Uh, the, the home team uh, wins Game Seven fifty-eight percent of the time, going back to nineteen thirty-nine. So, it is. It is an important factor. I think minus one eighty is way too high a price there, and and the line has been moving up. I think getting Pittsburgh at this price is is great value, and uh, just because they've lost a couple in a row here doesn't mean this series is over. So I like Pittsburgh there. Um, Justin Williams, Mister Game Seven, they call him for the Caps. He's seven and zero in Game Seven with uh, 14 points, so I think we'll see some more money come in on the Caps there. The Ducks have lost four straight Game 7s at home over the last four years, which is kind of crazy. So they're seeing a much smaller line. I think the veteran leadership there for the Ducks is going to take over and beat this younger Oilers team. So I like the Ducks at home, and I like Pittsburgh on the road. One of the great things about offshores is you can bet on all sorts of different things, sports or otherwise. Donald Trump fired his FBI director yesterday afternoon, 
and you can gamble on whether or not he's going to get impeached. What are the offshore saying about Donald Trump's odds of finishing his first term right now? Well, to finish his first term, uh, he's uh, minus 130 right now. So, And, and those have come down. It's, it's even money for him not to finish his first term. That's an amazing and, statistic, by the way. You can gamble on whether or not Donald Trump is going to finish his first term, and it's almost even money. Yeah, absolutely. And books are just loving Donald Trump. They, they've never seen so much money come in on, on uh, political items like this before, and most of them are offering different stuff. Uh, also, to, to be uh, yeah, to be impeached uh, plus one twenty five. Um, yeah, that's another one that kind of blew me away a little bit. And uh, to be convicted by the Senate in his first term five to one. So those odds are getting uh, a lot smaller than they were a short time ago. Last question for you: The Players Championship, considered kind of the fifth major on the PGA Tour, is going on this weekend. Who is favored out there? I'm assuming Dustin Johnson, who's coming back from his uh, mysterious back injury when he fell down the stairs, uh, is favored. Who else is out there that is, is is making money? Maybe potentially, according to odds makers. Yeah, DJ's uh, around six to one. Rory's eight to one. I think Spieth will see a lot of money at fifteen to one. He, he's playing a lot better. Um, a couple guys to keep your eye on: J- Jason Duffner, eighty to one. He's coming off a couple real good tournaments. Martin Keimer's won here before. He's sixty-five to one. And uh, you can also bet on the over/under on the number of shots that will be hit in the water on seventeen, and that number's at forty-one and a half. So that's a fun one. Outstanding stuff as always, John Campbell. And again, I always hate to brag on this show, but I parred the Island Green at uh, at TPC Sawgrass <laughs> when I played it. Not, nice. Did the crowd go wild? The crowd did not go wild. It was an ugly shot. Never looked like it was going <laughs> to stay in the air at all, but it got under the green, and then I managed to par. Thanks, my man. I appreciate it. Thanks, Blackley. That is John Campbell. Go follow him at Johnny Oddshark on Twitter. Check him out on oddshark.com for gambling and informational-related needs. I am Clay Travis, final segment of Hour 1, up next here on Fox Sports Radio. Live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios, well, with Kawhi Leonard on the bench and an old legend back on the court, it was maybe the biggest possession of the season for the San Antonio Spurs, and man, oh man, did we get a big-time play. Here we go. Harden tries to work free for a shot, swatted by Ginobili. There's the buzzer. This ball game is over. Manu Ginobili snuffs a shot by James Harden, and the Spurs win Game Five in dramatic fashion. Maybe the best play of the postseason on defense by any player, Manu Ginobili in his bald spot, turning back time. That call, courtesy of the Spurs Radio Network. That's your Geico play of the day. What does it mean when Geico says just 15 minutes could save you 15% on car insurance? It means you probably should have gone to Geico 15 minutes ago. Now, I have not heard this audio, but yesterday we broke out Animal Thunderdome news. And I don't know how many of you have been paying attention to the ridiculousness that is the Jim McElwain allegations that he posed naked on top of a shark. Jim McElwain is the head coach of the Florida Gator football team. And this picture went viral earlier this week, and everybody immediately noticed the similarities between Jim McElwain and this guy. And if you haven't seen this picture, go follow me on Twitter, at Clay Travis. There is a naked man laying on the back of a shark in a fishing boat, and he looks incredibly similar to Jim McElwain. Yesterday, Jim McElwain was asked about it, and he was not happy. Let's hear Jim McElwain discussing whether or not it was him who's naked on the back of a shark 
in a fishing boat. This is real life. This is Jim McElwain's response. Part of, you've become part of this big yeah. viral photo. Sure. I mean, what's your feeling on this situation? Well, first and foremost, I don't know who it is, but it isn't me. Clearly. <laughs> I mean, it's, what, what's your just feeling in general? Just that something like this I, could even get out there and become a story? Well, I guess that's for you guys to answer. And, you know, in the world we live, what is a story? I just know this. It isn't me. I just know this. It isn't me. Well, a lot of you do, in fact, think it is him. In fact, I put this out as a poll question. I'm going to pull it up and see exactly what the results are. Then I'm going to go around the horn and see whether or not people think this is Jim McElwain. Uh, This is, uh, again, you can go check out this picture. Uh, He says it's not him. Do you believe it's Jim McElwain naked on top of a shark? 7,000 of you voted, and 56% of you said, yes, you do believe it's Jim McElwain naked on top of a shark. Uh, and, and I tweeted, and I believe this. If McElwain just said, yep, to me, I didn't think we would catch a shark. I lost a bet with buddies. He'd be my favorite SEC coach. Let's go around the horn. Jason Martin, is it Jim McElwain, Florida Gator coach, naked on the back of a shark? <laughs> I've seen the photo, and I've seen up close. The smile really makes it look like it's Jim McElwain. And here's this is not what I would consider a bombshell kind of way to try and diffuse this, is when they asked Florida, a spokesperson for the athletic department said, he told us it's not him. That was the quote. It's like that is their evidence is that Jim McElwain said it Which was not exactly him. Which is exactly what an SEC football coach caught naked on the back of a shark would say. That it's not him. And if you haven't seen this picture again, I don't know what you're doing with your life, but you need to go to Clay Travis. You can scroll down. You can see the picture. And McElwain sounded pretty upset about the whole process. Like, that was not the response of a guy. Like, he could have laughed this off. Uh, Danny G and Justin, is it McElwain? Well, we've been doing some extensive research on this story here in L.A., and there's a couple of things. Jim hates fishing. That's one. And two, it looks exactly like the Jimmy John's guy. Yeah, yeah, and that just killed our Jimmy John sponsorship that we were about to sign for millions of dollars. Thanks, uh, Danny G. Justin, are you believing it's him? Uh, no, I mean, I, I, I wish it was him, but you know, like I said, or like Danny said, we've been doing research, and this, uh, the Jimmy John's owner, he's uh, he's well known for taking pictures with dead animals. So, which is a creepy thing to be well known for. Uh, we now have, I believe, the greatest open to Animal Thunderdome segments that have ever been done. Now, I haven't heard this, but our guy Vito did it. I'm telling you right now, we're going to finish off the first hour here in the next minute or so. You need to come back. You need to come back for the opening of hour two because I've got – did you guys hear about the kid in the zebra enclosure? No. Got a great zebra story for you. All right, I'm just going to tease you. I'm going to leave it at that. It's going to make total sense when you hear it. And also, I feel like in honor of Jim McElwain, we need to play the opening to the new Animal Thunderdome segment. Yesterday, do we still have the, the, the kangaroo? Do we still have the oh, kangaroo? Oh, yeah, I have audio? it right here. All right. Yesterday, we played this, and it was like at the end of the segment, I said, you know what, we got to have music to accompany the Animal Thunderdome segments. If you missed it yesterday, North Alabama, they have an African safari park. It's an African safari park, but they also have animals from Australia and this woman decided that her daughter needed to get as close as possible to the kangaroos, and it did not go well. I'm telling you, this is a clip that should guarantee us the Marconi. Here it is. Sometimes, like, 
You know, why did I take her to the park that day? Why did I take her to see the kangaroo? I'm just glad that it got me instead of my baby sister because it would have hurt her even worse. Jennifer White took this cell phone video of her daughters up close to the kangaroo. The younger one reaches through the fence and then... The kangaroo reaches its head and arms through the fence, grabs Cheyenne by her hair, and appears to bite her head. Her mother says her little girl now has 14 stitches. I'm just glad I was there. We went to... Glad she was there. She's glad she was there. How about if you're there, you keep your kid from getting in the kangaroo enclosure? It says, warning, I bite there, and then you let your girl put her head through. Now, this is maybe entirely what you would expect from the Alabama Safari. If you go to an Alabama Safari, I'll tell you what, we're just lucky. It wasn't a gorilla or a lion or a tiger. We'll have Animal Thunderdome sound for you, and I promise you it's real and spectacular next year on Fox Sports Radio. All right, boys and girls, welcome into Hour 2. Major debut coming here. Welcome back to Fox Sports Radio Studios, brought to you by GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit GEICO.com for a free rate quote. Animal Thunderdome. I'm not sure how often it's going to be on the show, but the Animal Thunderdome has swept the nation, all 50 states demanding more, more, more. That's what they're saying here about outkick the coverage is Animal Thunderdome coverage. The most trusted man in animal and human news. And now we have a new opening for this segment, and it sounds a little bit something like this. Ladies and gentlemen. I'm just glad I was there. Boys and girls. I thought he thought I was like this ginormous piece of chicken. Dying times here. This is Animal Thunderdome. That is extraordinary. We got two bits of Animal Thunderdome news. Honestly, I feel like Jim McElwain and the, the shark could count. This news comes to us, let's see, from Jonathan Cooper. Coco Cooper says, Police say a 16-year-old high school student jumped into the zebra exhibit at the zoo on a dare. Why did he do it? A girl told him she'd give him her number if he did it. Again, haters gonna hate. Haters gonna hate indeed. We had the guy who got attacked by the crocodile trying to impress a girl. Now a 16-year-old high school student has jumped into the zebra exhibit at the zoo on a dare. Girl told him she would give him her number. Hopefully he got that number. This story, also remarkable. Bears on the rampage in Connecticut. Huge picture of a bear. Listen to this story. Uh, a neighbor came across the street in a panic She's a little old lady screaming that a bear got on the back porch and is slamming on her glass door. They called 9-11 and they said that. They said that a bear spent considerable time on a deck and was reluctant to leave. He's trying to get into a house. He's unafraid. He's not listening to the noise, the screaming, or the yelling. Why was the bear trying to get into the house? Because the lady was baking brownies. Uh, it looks cute on the railing. The bear was angry about not being able to get to the brownies. At one point, we had an alligator who climbed up to the second floor, a member of a balcony in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. Listen to this. At one point, the bear was able to open the screen door. It appeared that he was going to be able to get into the home, but he couldn't manage to open the glass slider. 
Finally, the bear, he actually left the kitchen area, went to a second set of doors, and then he tried a third set of doors. The bear tried to break in through three different floors, and all because a woman was baking brownies, and the bear could smell them. This, my friends, the Animal Thunderdome, it's very real, and the bears are out to get us. I am Clay Travis, the most trusted name in animal-human relations anywhere. That's an incredible open. Incredible open by our guy Vito there now for the Animal Thunderdome. Anytime you guys see a story, my theory is the animals are out to get us. They have way, they're waging war against us at any moment. You could find yourself in mortal peril as a result of animals. Whenever you see those stories, send them to me. At Clay Travis on Twitter. The bear who tried to get in three doors while brownies were being baked. Everyone in Connecticut lucky to be alive. I don't think there's any doubt. And again, Jim McElwain with the shark. This story has gone viral. If there's not tons of kids showing up in SEC football stadiums with naked Jim McElwain photos as he tries to uh, to, to claim it's not him, do we have that audio again of Jim McElwain? Like, if this were you, if there was somebody who looked like you on a viral internet meme and it was not you. Like, this inevitably will end up happening to me at some point. It's happened a couple of times. There have been guys who look like me on viral internet memes. You just make fun of it. You don't come out and try to, like, treat it as a completely serious story because that makes me think that it is Jim McElwain. Again, if I said to you, is that you who's in that viral internet meme naked on the back of a shark, would you respond like Jim McElwain did here? First and foremost, I don't know who it is, but it isn't me. Clearly. <laughs> I mean, it's, what, what you're just feeling in general, just that something like this I, could even get out there and become a story. Well, I guess that's for you guys to answer. And, you know, in the world we live, what is a story? I just know this. It isn't me. Listen to the guy furiously typing in the background during that interview. The guy's like, why did I become a sports writer? Jim McElwain answering a question about whether or not it's him on naked on the back of a shark virally. It's gone everywhere on the internet. The guy in the background just hitting his keyboard like 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 we just found out that Donald Trump's firing his FBI director. It's like, I got to get every word of this right. This is my Pulitzer moment. This is my opportunity. Listen to I mean, that. What, what's your just feeling in general? Just that something like this I, could even get out there and become a story. Well, I guess that's... <laughs> Furiously typing away. Oh, my God. I got to be on top of this. And the follow-up. Got to follow up. I'm going to be honest with you. A little disappointed in the Florida Gator uh, media core there. Because when Jim McElwain denies that it's him, why did nobody follow up and say, gotcha, coach. I understand that you would deny that it's you. But isn't that exactly what you would expect somebody to say if they were asked if they were posing naked on the back of a shark? Just saying, not sure that I buy McElwain's denial 100% there because that's exactly what you would expect him to do. Coach, uh, there's this picture of you that looks exactly like you on the back of a shark. And by the way, you know, I went shark, uh, and, and I went shark fishing once, so I've been there. I know what it's like to get a shark into your boat. I haven't told this story before. When I was in college, that's exactly what you would expect Jim McElwain to say, though. Right? He's going to deny that it's him. Unless he was awesome. And he was like, you know what? I went deep sea fishing. 
Jimbo, who I was with, not Jimbo Fisher, but somebody named Jimbo, because if you go deep sea fishing in the south in Florida, you have to have a guy named Jimbo in the boat with you. That's a rule. Jimbo and I were out. We're drinking a bunch of beers, and Jimbo said, hey, coach, we're going to catch a shark out here. And I said, you're full of it. If we catch a shark, I'm going to take strip down naked. You can take my picture riding on the back of that shark. Then what happens? Catch a shark. Next thing you know, what do you got to do? Strip down naked, get your picture taken on him. That's how you pay off a bet. Otherwise, you can't trust a guy. Guy says, I'll strip down naked and climb on the back of a shark. If we catch one, that's what you have to do. Got to do it if it happens. I went when I was, uh, so when I graduated law school, I moved to the United States Virgin Islands. I lived in St. Thomas. A lot of you probably have been through St. Thomas on a cruise ship. Uh, A lot of cruise ships stop there every single week. So I practiced law down there for a couple of years. And I went out on a a deep sea fishing boat. It's the only time I've ever done it. And the Virgin Islands is an interesting place because if you've ever spent any time in the Caribbean, a lot of Caribbean islands, it doesn't take very long once you get off the island for the water to drop precipitously and for you to reach deep sea level. You know, where in other words, there's lots of different uh, different animals and everything else because you drop kind of off the continental shelf, I believe is what it is. Anyway, I'm not a geologist, but I know you didn't have to go very far off of St. Thomas in order for the water to get very deep and for there to be a lot of opportunity there at deep sea fishing. Like sometimes you have to go way out from a land. You don't have to go that far out from the from St. Thomas. So we're out there in a boat. It's awful. But I don't. I would never go deep sea fishing again because the seas are so rough, and we weren't in that big of a boat. And I was like, I feel like I'm going to throw up. This is not that enjoyable. So we have those like big, like they're like cock holsters. You ever see those things that you fish out of? They're like you put on a belt on, and it's got like a it's got like a hole. <laughs> it's got a hole where you put the fishing rod in, and you can like kind of walk around with it. At least this is how I remember it. I think this is true. You got like a big belt, like a WWF championship belt. And you can put your rod in there, and then you can reel it in. So we're fishing, and we catch a barracuda. And we're rolling in the barracuda. And as we're rolling in the barracuda, it gets up to, like, top of the water level. And you can see the barracuda kind of, like, skimming across the top of the water. And we've caught him with the hook, and we're rolling him in. And the barracuda's big, but it's not that big of a fish, right? If you've ever seen a barracuda out, I've been, you know, fishing – I've been I've been out snorkeling, like seen a big barracuda. Like it's a big fish, but it's not an overwhelmingly huge fish. So you're out there reeling in the barracuda, and I kid you not, it's like something out of National Geographic. All of a sudden, you see a fin come up behind the barracuda, and next thing you know, this shark has just eaten the barracuda. And in the process of eating the barracuda, the shark eats the barracuda and the hook, and then we got the shark hooked. So now we got this massive shark. I mean, it's like a six-foot shark, right, that we have hooked, and we got to reel him in. It's just me and another dude and then the, the fisherman guy out there who's had like 40 beers. Like I'm like, this doesn't seem very safe. And so we got this reel, and we're reeling in the shark. And I swear to God, we pull the shark up next to the boat. And if you've ever been out fishing, you know that like a lot of times when you get a big fish in freshwater, somebody will lean over with like a, uh, with like a net. And then they'll bring in the fish because at some point you get the fish, you know, get the shark close enough to the boat, and the shark's just thrashing. Not a happy shark, just slamming into the side of the boat. We're not even in that big of a boat, guys. I mean, like, there's probably I don't know, like two feet between us and the water. I mean, it's pretty easy. I'm thinking like this shark's going to freaking capsize us, and then he's going to eat us out here in the water because we're just going to be floating around. I hope he eats the other guys instead of me. But then if he eats the other guys, there's going to be blood in the water. I'm going to be done for. I don't know how you get out of here. I don't know how you get out alive. I'm like, I would probably have just cut the shark loose and let him go. 
we got Captain Ahab out here with us, and Captain Ahab is like, we're going to get the shark in the boat, and then you're going to eat it. I don't, I don't want the shark in the boat. There's hardly room for the three of us in the boat. The last thing I want is a six-foot shark thrashing around. So anyway, I swear to God, the guy's got a net, like a real-life net like you would use to get a big catfish in the boat or something. Leans over. This shark is snapping left and right. He's slamming into the boat. Captain Ahab just leans over. Miraculously, he's still got both of his arms and both of his legs. And he's like, can you help me with the net? I'm like, the hell I can. I'm not trying to catch a shark in a net and then pull him in, like a fishing net, like the same thing I would use to get a a catfish in. So Captain Ahab leans over, somehow gets the shark in the net. And by the way, no idea how this happens. And then the shark weighs like 100 pounds. You know, it's like a big, big fish. And so he's like, can you help me get in here? So I'm leaned over, never touched a shark in my life. Shark snapping left and right. We get him in the boat. Yank the shark up, and immediately I run away from the shark. Shark is in the boat, and it's just like spinning around trying to bite people in the boat. I'm like, what do you do now? He's like, well, you got to wait it out. I'm like, we don't wait out a shark. He's like, the shark has to have has to you know breathe underwater. I'm like, yeah, I know that, but we're on a tiny boat, and this shark, I'm not kidding you, is just swimming around, literally on our boat, trying to snap people. Eventually, he died. I didn't get my picture taken with him. Did not get my picture laying on top of the shark naked, just for full disclosure. But we did cut him up and eat him. So I know what it's like to catch a shark on a deep-sea fishing trip, and I understand the desire that Jim McElwain may have had to drop his pants and be naked with the shark, be one with nature. But I think if I were Jim McElwain here, I'd just own it. You know what? I killed that shark, and then I decided I wanted to hump that shark, and that's perfectly normal behavior for an SEC football coach who has to go up against Nick Saban every year. Nick Saban will drive you crazy. You want evidence of how much Nick Saban will drive somebody crazy? Here's Jim McElwain's fat ass on top of a shark. That's what happens when you play against Nick Saban every year. Eventually, you go insane. Up next, he's already insane. It's Jeff Schwartz. I'm Clay Travis. You're listening to Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios. What does it mean when Geico says just 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance? It means you probably should have gone to geico.com 15 minutes ago. We bring in Jeff Schwartz as we do every single Wednesday. Had to think about what day it was. Every single Wednesday on this program in hour two. Jeff, what's up, my man? Do you believe Jim McElwain when he says it's not him naked on top of a shark? (laughs) I saw the original. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I have to think if you're the head coach of Florida, you're not going to be remotely in a situation where you get pictured naked humping a shark would you believe it was me if a guy looked somewhat like me and was naked humping a shark would you believe any denial that i gave or would you totally assume it's me i think you've moved past something like doing something like that i feel like you wouldn't do that anymore like like you you've made it now to where that's something you don't have to do I can definitely see making it. Have you ever been de- deep sea fishing? Uh, no, I am not a fan of the ocean. Yeah, I, I, I mean, fish. so I get it. Like I, I was saying earlier, I've only been once, and we got out to sea. And the thing about it that I should have realized is that deep sea fishing is like that means you go out a long way. Like I didn't think I, I know, but people are like, "Oh, you're an idiot. You're deep sea fishing. Like you have to go." I didn't think you'd have to go that far past land. Like we were way out in the ocean. Yeah, the last the last time I went was for a buddy's bachelor party and there were 20 of us on the boat and 19 people caught their allotment of fish they caught 20 fish each one person caught zero fish because he threw up the whole time and that was myself so i threw up for three hours three hours straight because you just got seasick yeah i just was miserable yeah 
Yeah, and you think that it is, you can't come back. Like, I, that, that's my thing about, I don't like boats. Like, I'm a land person. People say, like, I could have never been in the Navy. I could have never been in, like, an old school, like, fisherman out trying to catch whales. No way, because I don't like being on boats. So the boats are rocky. Uh, they are, uh, like, people are like, oh, I can't wait to go on this cruise. And all I'm thinking is, that's just a big prison. You know, like, you're just on a big floating prison. There may be fun things to do, but if you need to leave the boat, there's nothing you can do to leave the boat, and that's not for me. Like, if I'm on land, I'm totally fine. I lived on an island, and I li- I was fine going on boats, like, to go to, like, short trips. Like, okay, I'm going to go on this little, you know, like, right. it was big. Like, you get on ferries, you go to, like, different islands. Like, okay, I'm fine with that, but don't put me out. I can, you know, I'm not going for a long distance where I can't see land. Like, I'm just not going to do it. It's not very enjoyable to me. The only thing, the only part of dying, the only thing I guess I'm afraid of dying from is drowning. Like that, like that would be the worst. I grew up on the beach. I mean, I grew up in Santa Monica. The beach was right there. We went all the time. I just, yeah, I'm sort of the same as you. Where like, where I just don't, I don't go in the water if I don't have to. I don't go on boats if I don't have to. We're never going on a cruise again. My wife and I went one time, and she got so sick that she became delirious. So we're not, we're not doing boats. We're staying on land. She was delirious. What was she doing when she was sick? Oh man, she said she she claimed that she was plotting to leave me in Mexico. <laughs> Are you sure she was sick? Uh, I mean, we only was... been dating a year at that point, so it's completely possible. But that she was, was just going to abandon was... you in Mexico. She didn't think you'd yeah, be able to was... get back in. No, she was going to. No, she was going to leave in Mexico. She was going to stay in Mexico. Oh, she, she was going to stay in Mexico. Yeah, she was going to get a house and just live in Mexico. And she was so delirious. She took too much. She took, she took too much Dramamine. Like, she, and then she went down to the infirmary about five days in the cruise, and they're like, "Listen, lady, just just sit here for a couple minutes. We'll give you some medicine, make you feel better." Um, and yeah, it was. Uh, it was. I had to go down to eat dinner. You know, when on a cruise you have like a formal dining room and you have like your time to eat. Yeah. And so I went down and ate by myself, <laughs> just like I had both meals, her meal nice. and my meal. We're talking to Jeff Schwartz. You can follow him on Twitter at Jeff Schwartz. Uh, so you don't believe it's Jim McElwain. Did you hear his response where he made it sound like he was really serious about it? Like, you know, like he was getting quizzed about, you know, the FBI director getting fired or something. Here's that audio. If you haven't heard it, here's Jim McElwain explaining that it's not him. And listen to the guy furiously typing in the background who definitely wants to give up on life. You've become part of this big viral photo. Sure. I mean, what's your feeling on this situation? Well, first and foremost, I don't know who it is, but it isn't me. Clearly. <laughs> I mean, it's, what, what's your just feeling in general? Just that something like this I, could even get out there and become a story? Well, I guess that's for you guys to answer. And, you know, in the world we live, what is a story? I just know this. It isn't me. Isn't he taking it way too seriously? Like, if he had just said, you know what, yeah. I got a better ass than that guy. Trust me. You know, like, I mean, all, and I would have actually been more likely to believe him then. But when you treat a ridiculous story, like, with total seriousness, it makes me think that it's actually you. And over half of the people who voted, almost 7,000 people, believe it's actually Jim McElwain humping the shark. I think he could have used this as a recruiting tool. He could have done something with it. I feel like Harbaugh would have done something fun with this if someone thought it was him. Oh, Harbaugh would have walked in. Harbaugh would have walked in, turned around to the media, dropped his pants, and said, "Look at this ass. You think this ass is that ass?" <laughs> like, he yeah, would've... I think I agree. He should have made it. Fun. He should have done something with recruiting with the shark. I know there's no, there's no. By the way, what is 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 there a kid dying in the background there? Is there a kangaroo loose in your home? Are we are we in danger? 
they're they're just sitting in their high chairs watching Mickey and they're playing with each other and just screaming. I just closed the door. No, we're we're good now. It's crazy. It's just <laughs> it's, it's just mad. every morning is just madness. You know that's, how it is. Such a dad. It's such a dad. I got three. It's such a dad move. Like, I'll just shut the door and they'll be fine. It's like Lord of the Flies in there right now. You got uh, Mickey Mouse Playhouse on, door shut. Your wife's going to go back and listen to the audio and she's going to be like, You shut the door on the kids. You know, they could have, they could have died in the 30 seconds. She's right there. She's like, just smiling at me. And she's like, just, she's like, I don't know what's going on. And then she closed the door. Uh, I got you. So we got, uh, have we talked, did we talk to you about the draft, right? Or did we not talk to you about the draft? I can't even remember. It's been two weeks now. I think we have. All right, we talked about the draft. Yeah, so, there's no football. This is like a dead time. There's, there's literally no football news. It's, it's crazy. You're an NBA fan, too. Uh, like, last night we got a good game between the Spurs and the Rockets. But so far, the up to that point, I think it was like 15 out of 16 games have been double digits. So we finally got a play. Were you watching last night when Manu Ginobili blocked that shot? Yes, and I watched the replay this morning. Uh, you know, the NBA, like, I, I hear everyone complaining about it, but I, I feel like we're just waiting to get to the the best series. Like it's okay to have these poor series essentially, because then you get to Cavs Wars, which should be really epic. So I'm okay with, I guess there being uh, not much to talk about. Would you, would you prefer instead of the NBA series going on for as long as they have? And obviously the Cavs and the Warriors have both both gone eight. No, in the first two rounds of the playoffs to see the Cavs and the Warriors play like a best of 15 and knock out a couple of rounds. So you could see the first team to eight, let's say, instead of the first team to four. I've heard you talk about that. I feel like that's too much. I mean, seven games is a little urgency. If you play 15 games, it's not as much urgency. I feel early on, you know, teams will be like, ah, you know, if we lose this game, we'll make it up tomorrow uh, and whatnot. I think if you, you need to shorten the first round to five games. I don't know. I still don't know why they went to seven. Uh, you know, they had a couple upsets. So what hockey has upsets, and, and, you know, people seem to like the Predators being in the Western Conference Finals. So you shorten the first round, and, you know, and then you just hope that you get some competitive series and, and you end up having, like, a game like last night that's a good game for the NBA. But I think there's just a, um, you know, LeBron has is, is just been so good for so long that he's eliminated teams who thought they were going to be the next thing, right? The Hawks, the the Raptors, they thought they were going to be the next great Eastern Conference power, and he's just rolled through them. I think we look back on LeBron in 20 years and just the, the wreckage he left behind him. He's just so marvelous. Yeah, we're going to talk more with Jeff Schwartz here, but let's find out first what's trending now. Jeff, so see if you can go make sure those kids aren't dying, uh, and uh, let's find out what's trending. Welcome back. Fox Sports Radio Studios brought to you by Geico. Easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. And as well, with TrueCar, you can find out what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for. And on average, save over three grand off MSRP. Whether you're looking for a new or used car, visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. We were talking with Jeff Schwartz at Jeff Schwartz on Twitter. Jeff, did you see the picture of the Alabama fan? He reached out to me on Twitter who has the huge tattoo of Nick Saban on his back. I saw the picture. I did not know that he reached out to you. That is, I don't know what possesses a person to do that. What would you have to be paid to get a tattoo of Chip Kelly on your back? You played for Chip Kelly at Oregon. Like if I said right now, first of all, you have a hairy back too, so it'd be uh, yes. it'd be unfortunate. But like, let's say that you that I said to you, all right, I want to pay you. You're also Jewish, which means I think you go to hell if you get a tattoo. So the price has to be even higher. Um, what would, What would I have to pay you to get a tattoo of Chip Kelly on your back? It's it's not that we go to hell. I just I'm not allowed to be buried in a Jewish cemetery, which I guess is sort of the same thing, but. 
Um, Which seems, by the way, kind of draconian, right? Like, I don't know what the, when the rules are being made, but, like, a tattoo, like, seems like that's a pretty aggressive thing to say. Like, you can't be buried in a Jewish cemetery. Like, did people get that many tattoos back in the day of, uh, of, of the early Judaism? Like, was that a big thing? Like, I, I, I can't imagine I not, that I'm back in the Sea of Galilee early. days, Jewish people are just lining up getting, like, tribal tattoos of, uh, of barbed wire on their arms. I have not studied the uh, history of the uh, of the Jews in tattoos. It's my it's my upbringing. <laughs> but isn't it like as soon as I heard that story, the first time I heard it was actually on Curb Your Enthusiasm when Larry David was talking about it. Because I mean, it's not something that I would even think. Like I don't think about somebody in biblical times having a tattoo, or it seems to me like it would be a really bad decision to say, you know what, people are dying all the time from infections and everything else. But what I'm going to do is allow you to take this hot needle and just put something on my arm and I'll either die and have to get my arm amputated or I'll have like a barbed wire <laughs> tattoo and I'll be the coolest guy and like get Samamine. I think it's more about just not mutilating your body in general. You know, you're not allowed to even pleasure yourself and there's a lot of things in the, in the, in the Bible. So, so you're done that. for then <laughs> you've been done yeah, for for a um, long time. You and everybody else listening out 12. there is done for. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, no, I, I actually wrote something about that in in he- was it Hebrew school? Maybe when I was I went to this Hebrew high school for two years after my bar mitzvah. And I think I wrote something about about that exact thing. Is is what I forget what the example was, but I wrote a paper on that subject in Hebrew. Or so, no, no, in English. Oh, so what do you go to Hebrew school and write in English for? Um, yeah. So your, your Hebrew school, like I learned, you know, obviously you learn the prayers and you learn how to read and write Hebrew, but I was never very good at it. Like for my bar mitzvah, I just straight memorized the Torah. Like I didn't, I didn't know, like I, I didn't know what I was reading essentially. I just memorized my little portion and then I just knocked it out. And then as soon as I went to the Hebrew high school, it was more learning about Judaism than it was learning about Hebrew. That Were there good looking girls in Hebrew high school? No. That kind of sucks because I would think we're, the only we're reason not, to... we're not we're generally not like that good looking of a of a of a religion. I don't know. I, I mean, I think in Israel we are, but in America we have the ugly looking Jews. <laughs> so so your your assessment of of Jews in general in America is that they're an ugly people. No, I don't think they're they're no they're not terribly <laughs> like the women are just are not the greatest looking women all the time. Something wrong with that. No, I mean you got to move to the south. I You're in the, the south, south now, yeah. and you picked yeah, up a southern I, girl. I picked a southern girl, not Jewish. So, wh- how did I get onto the topic about tattoos? What, what was my what was my lead in there? I've totally forgotten. Oh, oh, if I would, if I would, get, how much would you pay me? To oh, get yeah, a Chip yeah. Kelly tattoo in my back? To get a Chip Kelly um, tattoo, how much would I have to pay you to get it? Like the guy for, gets a Nick Saban tattoo, and by the way, not a good Nick Saban tattoo. He looks like zombie Nick Saban. He does not look like a Nick Saban who's been living well. And how much do I have to pay you to get a Chip Kelly tattoo? Let, let me uh, probably, probably pay off my house. How much if, money do I need to get a tattoo on my back? What? So maybe the upper, it has to be like, it has to be close to seven figures, I think. Seven figures? Yeah, I'm not getting a, why would I get a tattoo? I'm not getting a tattoo for Chip Kelly. Give me seven figures, I'll do it. Seven figures, so if we put, put up a GoFundMe and somebody would raise seven figures, I mean, that, that's kind of a, a normal response, right? Like, I think the idea of getting another man's face tattooed on your back is something that just about every single man who's listening to us right now would say, no way on earth I'm going to do it, except Alabama fans. 
Like there are lots of Alabama fans. And by the way, again, not a good Nick Saban tattoo. You can go seek this out if you want to type in my name and Nick Saban tattoo. One of my listeners slash readers was at Talladega, the NASCAR event, set behind a guy who had the big Nick Saban tattoo. And then, because social media connects everyone everywhere, the guy with the Nick Saban tattoo reached out to me on Twitter and said, I'm the guy with the Nick Saban tattoo. So I retweeted him. So uh, congratulations to that missing, guy. Isn't he missing a couple years on there? Yeah, he's, on the he's at least one title behind on Alabama. Like I, I'm assuming that he didn't have the money to continue to update the uh, the tattoo on his back. Not a well-done tattoo. If you were going to get a tattoo of Nick Saban, then that would be an awful decision. You know, it reminds me, one of the dumbest tattoos I've ever seen, and there are a lot of dumb tattoos out there. Did you see Vince Young got his name tattooed on his back like it was his name on his jersey? Have you seen that picture? Uh, Vince Young, I like. I would be like. I don't know what they do in order to make decisions on who to draft. But if Vince Young had come in and I'd been like, "You have any tattoos?" and he's like, "Yeah, I got V. Period Young tattooed on my back, (laughs) just like it's on my jersey." I'd be like, "This guy is off our draft board." There's no way I'm entrusting the, the the franchise's future to a guy who thought, you know, what it would be awesome to do get a V. This is real life. This actually happened. Vince Young got a V. Period Young tattooed on his upper back just like it was his name on his jersey which is such an incredibly dumb thing to even think of that i would just take him right off the board no way i'm giving the future of my franchise to that guy this tattoo was pretty uh was pretty big when i was in high school is getting your initials on your triceps i've never understood that one either initials on the triceps. i've got incredible tricep muscles so just like all three initials or just like your first name and your last no, name? No, no, like, you know, people would put, like, I put a GS, like a, my, you know, G on my left arm and an S on oh. my right tricep. Like, I've never, I've never kind of understood that idea. See, and the thing know, about... I just am so anti-tattoo. Yeah, the, the thing about that decision to me is I blame women. Because the only reason men do anything is because they think it's more likely to get women. There are women out there sleeping with guys, and they're like sleeping with guys who have decided to get their initials on their tricep muscles. And I blame women because that's why men do it. They wouldn't do it if it wasn't effective. Correct. Yes. And I think that if I got a tattoo, my wife would sleep with me even less. <laughs> uh, I think that's 100% true. There's no doubt at all. Okay, so as we come down the stretch here of the NBA offseason – Jay Cutler has decided to go into the booth. Uh, you, I don't think you know Jay Cutler, but you called a game. You went out and did the spring game for Oregon. It's incredibly difficult if you aren't a quarterback to get a gig calling games. How do you think Cutler will be, and is it fair that these quarterbacks get to skip every other person, whether it's Romo, whether it's Cutler? Like Quarterbacks have an automatic path to the booth if they want it, whereas offensive linemen like you get no respect. I, I'm okay. Let's start with the last one. So, like, I'm not – I obviously want to do this. Like, I, I don't get upset that Cutler and Romo have these jobs. I just get – I just want a chance to audition for the job, if that makes sense. Like, I get that they're going to get – you know, they're quarterbacks. I mean, Romo's quarterback for America's team. Of course he's going to get in line for that type of gig. Uh, as far as who will be good, you know, they put Cutler with Charles Davis. I and mean, he's going to be – it's not going to – he's going to have an easier time than Romo will be. Infinitely Charles easier. Davis, yes. Charles Davis will just throw him softballs. I mean, Cutler probably doesn't even have to talk about a lot of things. They might just ask him, hey, I want you to just focus on what the quarterback is doing here. Every time that we need to go to the quarterback, we'll throw it to you, and Charles will just talk about everything else. I mean, it could be as simple as that situation. Because Charles Davis is great. So they put him in a great situation. Romo, on the other hand, you know, he's the number one guy. He, he's not going to have a crutch like Charles Davis in the booth. So, you know, maybe they, they threw this to Cutler as, hey, well, you, just, you know, this is kind of an audition year. 
We'll see how you do. Uh, but, you know, it takes time. Troy Aikman wasn't that great early on, and some other guys weren't great. And now look now look where Troy's at now. It just takes a lot of reps, and that's what I've learned doing the Oregon spring game is, you know, it's just you, you, you need the reps. And, you know, for those guys that are starting out at the top level, and there's going to be more scrutiny, and hopefully Fox and CBS give them the time uh, to work through the early game issues they have. Yeah, that's a good point because I do think that booth with Charles Davis, who's phenomenally good, Kevin Burkhardt, who's also phenomenally good, and Jay Cutler. They're in a three-man there as opposed to CBS, which is just throwing Tony Romo completely into the mix with Jim Nance. Uh, And I will say this. I do think that quarterbacks are very comfortable with being criticized because their entire career has been being criticized, so they're not going to suddenly lose their mind over people on Twitter saying mean things to them. But it is a different level of skill set, and I'm fascinated to see how those guys do. And, I mean, you go through boot camp. Like, you tried to audition, and you're still working on trying to get to call games at some point. What's the most challenging aspect to you? Like, you've played football your entire life. You obviously know what you're seeing on the field. What's the most challenging thing about being in the booth and trying to call a game? So when I went back and listened to the Oregon game, um, I was okay with the information that I gave as far as the plays and what I saw. It's just finding different ways to say things. Like, you can't just say good all the time. Right. You have to find different, and that's what I ran into is like, how do you say a wide receiver ran a good route, but don't say good? Do you say he ran an efficient route? Do you say he ran a textbook route? Like, you have to find different adjectives to explain things that happen and, you know, and increase your, your, you know, your diction. And that's what I found like rewatching the game, uh, the Oregon Spring game is I was fine as far as what I said about the play. Like, I knew what the play was, I knew what the coverage was, I knew all those, but it's a matter of, of coming up with different ways to explain what I saw. And that's, I think, what takes time. And, you know, for Romo, at least, he gets two games a week. I mean, he'll have a lot of practice. But like I said, it's just at the top level, and he'll, he'll be really scrutinized. But he might – you know, both those guys, I think, will get a year pass from the, from the media critics. You know, they understand they're coming right from the, the field onto the booth, and they'll probably get a pass. You know, Cutler maybe not so much because – He's not as well liked as Romo, but I think Romo will get, no matter how he does first year, he could be excellent, he could be bad. I think everyone will say, well, let's give him a year to, do, you know, to figure it out. Speaking of uh, getting a pass, did you see the Alabama fan who exposed himself in the convenience store? Yes. I, I just, I, it, your 85% thing, just, it just plays out all the time on Twitter. I believe that 85% of Alabama fans are total idiots, in case you're wondering. The 85% who could not get admitted to the University of Alabama. And time after time, we see people in Alabama gear doing ridiculous things. I've got to send you a video that I haven't been willing to post yet of a woman dancing at Talladega. Not a good-looking woman. She's naked. And there is an Alabama fan in full Alabama gear like getting as close to her as he possibly can, recording the dance on his uh, on his iPhone. I mean, it is uh, it is unbelievable what goes down at Talladega. Uh, yeah, that that story just he exposed himself. I, I don't know, man. I just don't. I just don't get it. I don't know. I, I've never felt the need to to pull out my junk in front of anyone. <laughs> really, I don't find the need to take pictures of my junk and send them to anybody either. Um, I've just never understood that need. Women don't like the look of, of your junk. They don't. So I don't know. They I don't particularly, get why you're so well with sending it. They particularly don't like when you expose yourself to them and they're not at all involved in an amorous relationship with you. Like the guy in full Alabama gear who, if you haven't seen the story, just walked into a convenience store and pulled down his pants and exposed himself, and then they now, tracked now him down. He, now, was he like, was he, was he ready to go, or was he just, just as, 
is. It's even worse. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if he was a uh, if he was a uh, a noodle or a wrench. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure which of those he was, but uh, I do know that he has since been arrested. Roll Tide, baby. Jeff Schwartz, appreciate you joining us. Take care. You know when you're an Alabama Crimson Tide fan, things are going rough. You lose to Clemson. Next thing you know, your fan base is out there exposing themselves to everybody in the convenience store. And actually, when you expose yourself to them, people like Alabama fans are like, you know, at least we didn't kill any trees or teabag somebody in the French Quarter this time. At least this is a minor crime, relatively speaking, for an Alabama Crimson Tide fan to be enjoy- involved in. Roll Tide, y'all. I'm Clay Travis. This I'll keep the coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios, great news. There's a quick way you could save money. Switch to Geico. Go to geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. I'm Clay Travis. Thanks for joining us here on uh, the final segment of Hour 2. Next hour, the anonymous mailbag will make its uh, debut for the week at the bottom part of Hour 3. That's 8.30 Eastern. You won't want to miss that. Uh, enjoyable show so far. Go download the podcast. Uh, podcast is at iTunes. Uh, over a million of you are going to download it in May. Thank you so much for all the support of the podcast. Again, OutKick, you can just search it on the podcast store and you'll be able to find it. A little bit of news. We've been talking a lot about ESPN and what the future of sports is in a cord-cutting industry. Well, yesterday ESPN announced their earnings And for the fifth time in six weeks, uh, sorry, fifth time in six quarters, so for the last year and a half, ESPN has continued to drag on the overall results of Disney. Remember, Disney is the parent company that owns ESPN. And ESPN lost subscribers during the quarter. They had higher programming costs. And as a result, their income dropped again. And they cited specifically in its earnings report that Disney had paid a.k.a. ESPN, too much money for the NBA contract. Basically, ESPN is paying too much money for sports, and as a result, as they lose subscribers, and they're losing several million subscribers every year as part of the cord-cutting mess that is going on across the industry of cable and satellite, that as a result, Disney has not met its earnings expectations, and the stock was down a couple of dollars in after-hours trading That's a big story that we've been covering a lot on OutKick. Again, the collapse of what I believe is the sports gambling, sorry, the sports bubble. And as a result, I think the leagues are going to have to get interested in gambling to try to make up the money that they're not going to make off of televised sports rights. A fascinating story to follow. If you're a college kid or if you're a high school kid and you're interested in business, reading about ESPN's business model as it comes under siege is, I think, a fascinating way to kind of do your own business study. I get asked this question all the time. we got a lot of high school kids, lots of college kids that start off their day across the nation, uh, all 50 states with OutKick. And if you guys are starting your day with this, what kind of topics do you have to write about? ESPN had the best, best business model maybe in the history of media in the world from 1979 to about 2011. Starting in 2011, they began to hemorrhage subscribers That hemorrhaging is continuing and, again, going through the results of yesterday where ESPN failed to meet expectations and earnings were down and the company was cited for the fifth time in six quarters as a real hindrance to the overall Disney brand. For a long time, ESPN was the engine that drove Disney. Now it is the engine that is slowly sputtering and pulling Disney down as otherwise there are great movies coming out. 
and uh, and the, the parks are packed. If you take your kids down there for the summer, as many of you will, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Final hour coming up next, we'll dive back in to the Spurs-Rockets game. We'll talk about Manu Ginobili. Question for you, was it worth Manu Ginobili coming back to play for this entire season just for that huge block at the end of Game 5? We will discuss here on Fox Sports Radio. Welcome back, Fox Sports Radio Studios. Final hour of Wednesday show brought to you by Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote as well as drive the new Duralast GT brake pads proven tough from the tracks to the streets and sold only at AutoZone. Get in the zone, AutoZone. We're in the zone here. And last night, Manu Ginobili was in the zone for the first time in a very long time. A couple of stats for you here that I want to hit you with. Again, the Spurs winning a crucial Game 5 in overtime last night over the Houston Rockets. If you're just waking up, appreciate you joining us in your morning. Here's what Manu Ginobili had done in the playoffs. He's played now, what, uh, 11 playoff games the Spurs have? In the first game against the Grizz, 19 minutes, 0 points, 0 for 4 from the floor. Second game against the Grizz. Zero points, 0 for 2 from the floor. Third game for the Grizz and against the Grizz, 0 for 5. So Manu Ginobili started off his playoffs 0 for 11 from the field with zero points. First three games, he plays 19 or fewer minutes, and he starts off 0 for 11 from the field. Game four, he finally has a performance that gets him in double digits, goes 4 of 6 from the field, and gets 10 points. That was the only game that he had scored double digits in so far in the playoffs, he had another game of zero against the Rockets where he was over from the field. We have the Kawhi Leonard injury. Manu Ginobili steps up, plays 32 minutes, nearly twice what he had played in any game so far this series. Goes 5 for 11 from the field, gets seven rebounds, adds in five assists, all highs for him, 12, 7, and 5, and adds in an incredible block on James Harden as Harden rises up to try to hit a three to win the game, I believe, against the San Antonio Spurs. Manu Ginobili with a perfectly clean block from behind that seemed to baffle James Harden to such an extent that Harden, who led almost the NBA in free throws last year, could not flop and attempt to draw three free throws as everybody does in the NBA right now. As I left hour two, I asked a question. I am now going to poll everybody, go around the horn. Was it worth it for Manu Ginobili to come back and play this season at the age of 39, having been drafted all the way back in 1999, just to make that play? Is that a walk-off moment for Manu Ginobili where the entire season was worth it? He also had a good running scoop, I know, to tie the game. He made... A lot of really good plays in this game. Again, 12-7-5 for Manu Ginobili in 32 minutes of action. This is a guy who threw four of the ten, four of the 11 games that he played so far, did not score. The first three playoff games of this season for the San Antonio Spurs, he was a combined 0-for-11 from the field with zero points. Was this worth it, this play so iconic that it sums up Manu Ginobili so perfectly? I don't think the Spurs are going to win a championship. Ginobili has won a lot of championships with the Spurs, but was this worth it? I think it probably was. Jason Martin, was this play by itself? Ginobili this season averaged 19 minutes, 7.5 points, shot 39% from the field, 
Obviously, the worst year for him statistically in his NBA career since all the way back in, man, all the way back in ever. He's never averaged that few of points in his career in the NBA, even back to when he was a rookie. Was it worth it for this game, for that play, to come back for an entire season? To me, no, um, for a couple of different factors. One, he struggled last year. I mean, he looked really worn down at 38. Now he's back at 39. That was a great play, but how much are you going to add to Manu Ginobili's legacy that he blocked something in the Western Conference semifinals before either maybe the Spurs get there and then get boat raced by the Warriors or not? I just felt like that Ginobili and Duncan walking off together would have been a really good way for those two guys' careers to end. I know that there's something to be said, and I respect Manu for being one of those guys that wants to be carried off the court, but I'm more of the John Elway wins a Super Bowl and retires model where he still had something left in the tank but he'd given all that he felt he needed to give to basketball I respect what Manu did and if he wants to keep playing that's fine I think it's over but this was a great moment that's going to it's gonna it's gonna result in nothing when we get to the end of it so no not to me not for one block in a series that's going to end up mattering very little to who wins the NBA championship that's a whole season on that body Ginobili also playing Obviously, uh, for Argentina and international basketball, so he has a ton of miles on him. And no, to me, I would have retired last year with Duncan because last year he felt completely spent to me as I watched him down the stretch. That was an iconic play, and I think it was an iconic play that's exactly the kind of play you would expect Manu Ginobili to make. Right? That, that is what you kind of vintage expect Manu to do. I mean, uh, again, he's 39 years old. Kind of reminds me, I used to love to watch, I haven't watched it in a while because I just haven't had time, The Challenge on MTV. And they bring back the same guys every year, and it makes you feel like you aren't getting as old. Like I saw on Twitter every this morning, like when I got up early, everybody's like, man, Manu Ginobili was drafted all the way back in 1999. And I'm like, 1999 doesn't feel that long ago to me. This is how it gets when you start to get old. I'm, uh, I was 19 in 1999. I'm 38 now. I think the math on that is right. Whatever it is, I, I was like 1999 was a great year, right? Uh, for a lot of people out there listening to us right now, and it doesn't feel that long ago. Whereas once you start to have kids, you recognize like every year is such a massive thing to them now. I've got a nine-year-old, a six-year-old, and a two-year-old. And I was talking about this with my wife the other day. Our nine-year-old is now halfway to graduating from high school, and that'll be a massive thing. And I'm like. In nine years, I'm 38. In nine years at 47, I don't think I'll look or feel that much different, hopefully, than I do now. For a nine-year-old to go to 18, like you forget when you get older how much every year matters. And to me, like Manu Ginobili is sort of this timeless basketball warrior. And one of the good things about the NBA, as opposed to, let's say, the NFL, which is, I think, probably the the pop, most popular sport in America, right? Other than quarterbacks and kickers, nobody lasts in the NFL. Every four years, basically, your entire team turns over. And you get to like age with the quarterbacks, right? Tom Brady is almost 40, whatever age he is. Drew Brees, like those guys can last for a long time. Before that, it was Brett Favre. Basketball, some of these guys can last. Whether it was Ray Allen for a long time playing, now it's Manu Ginobili. And I kind of feel like it was worth it. I kind of feel like Manu Ginobili making that play, even though it's the semifinals of the Spurs against the Rockets, and even though this team is, I think, likely to get wiped out by the Warriors, whoever advances, whether it's the Spurs or the Rockets, 
I think this was great for Manu Ginobili because to me it's like a goodbye, right? I can't imagine that he's going to come back next year. But for everybody out there watching, this felt like so much vintage Manu that it felt almost as if this was worth him coming back just for this swan song moment. Uh, What do you guys think, Danny G and Justin? Yeah, to your point, 10 years goes by so fast. Um, I I was really tripping the other day because I saw an article about uh, one-hit wonder songs that are now 10 years old. Like uh, uh, Fat Joe in Terror Squad, Lean Back, is now more than 10 years old. Yeah, that's pretty crazy, that that song like that. It's weird because I remember just – it seems like yesterday being in the club and the Spurs are in the finals with Manu in his prime. And so you're right. I, I'm with you. I, I would like to see him continue to play another couple of years, if for anything, just so we feel comfortable. Yeah, we don't feel as old. And it was just such a perfect play. Justin, uh, it's been 20 years since you started in Liar Liar. I'm sure for a lot of people out there, that 20 years has passed in the blink of an eye. Good or bad for Manu, was it worth it for that play? Oh, completely. I think so. I mean, that's that's what you play for moments like that. And you could I mean, I thought it was just an iconic shot that you saw right after. It was a perfect camera work. You saw uh, James Harden walking off the floor towards the camera as you had Ginobili like raising his arms away from the camera, his back to the camera. I thought it was perfect. And it's 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 a great moment. Yeah, no, I thought it was such an iconic moment. And again, it kind of confirms what we already believe about Manu Ginobili. That's such a difficult play to make. You know, he's made a living putting his body into awkwardly contorted positions, whether it's going to the rim and managing to get off that kind of running scoop layup that he's made so many times, whether it was flopping, driving Kobe Bryant insane over the ability to get his body between uh, him and and uh, an offensive player, and then whether or not he actually got the amount of contact that he sold, it was fantastic. If you've ever played pickup basketball, you know how difficult it is to block a shot on a three-point basket anyway, but to block one from behind completely clean for a winning basket for a guy like James Harden who gets fouled just about more than anybody other than Russell Westbrook. He and Westbrook get fouled more than anybody in the NBA this past season. To have him and strip him so clean as he goes up for a basket that would have won the game is, I mean, perfect. And the still shots to see, literally, like, Harden didn't even have time to think about flopping because the block was so perfectly clean, and I think he was so shocked that Manu Ginobili was able to pull that up off because, again, you have to be so athletic to even make that play. To get a clean block from behind like that on a game-winning three-point shot is almost impossible to pull off. All right, final hour of the show. A little roadmap for you. If you have missed any part of the show, if you're waking up right now, you can go back, download the podcast. We had uh, John Campbell from Odd Shark on in the first hour, helping to get you ready two game sevens tonight in the NHL, uh, as well as game five of the Celtics and the Wizards series. And we had Jeff Shorts on for hour two, as we always do on Wednesday. Going to do the anonymous mailbag at the bottom of this hour. But in the meantime, maybe we'll open up the phone lines for the first time. If you want to react at all, 877-996-6369. That's 877-996-6369. I'm Clay Travis. You are listening to Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios. Great news. Quick way to save money. Switch to Geico. Go to geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. Manu Ginobili gets his final moment in the sun, perhaps. We'll see. I think most of you would agree that it's unlikely that he's going to be a stud, 
even if the Spurs are fortunate enough to advance against the Warriors. Maybe he'll get another moment in the sun. But you think about the way, for instance, that Paul Pierce's career ended. Paul Pierce is a great NBA champion, tremendous career. What's the last moment you remember from Paul Pierce's career? It basically ended with the Clippers this past uh, this past season, right? I mean, this this past series. And he didn't ever get that moment in the sun for a final final opportunity. Doesn't mean that coming back for another year was a bad decision because I understand, like, and a lot of you probably do too, a lot of people stay at their jobs past the point where they're the best at them because they like what they do so much that they don't want to give it up. And so I can respect how much you love playing basketball if you're a guy like Paul Pierce or Manu Ginobili. But Paul Pierce never got that final moment. He never got that opportunity for people to say, damn, that's what was so much fun about watching Paul Pierce play basketball. Manu did last night. And I think as bad as this final season has been for him, as ridiculous as it was that the first three games in the playoffs against the Memphis Grizzlies, he didn't even score. That moment, for those of us who have watched him play basketball for the last 15 years or so, was worth it. I think so. You can disagree. You can think Manu should have given it up a long time ago. You can think, man, he was lucky to be paying for Greg Popovich, who kept his minutes down over all those years, given how many minutes he's playing for the, uh, is it the Argentinian national team, I think, um, and and have that opportunity. Open up the phone lines. First time we've done it all show, 877-996-6369. We go to Quentin in San Antonio. Quentin, what's up, my man? Hey, Clay. How's it going? Always good. That's good. Yeah, no, I'm originally from Houston, just recently moved to San Antonio. And I can just go ahead and speak to the entire city that they would all say it was totally worth it for that one moment. And I am not looking forward to hearing from it for the next two days. <laughs> and that's my piece. So you're a Rockets fan who had the, the bad uh, bad fortune, the misfortune to move to. A lot of people can think about that. Yeah, I appreciate the call, Quentin. Yeah, like you have moved, you know, geographically. You're committed to one team, and then you move to another city at the exact wrong time. And then that team ends up, you end up hating it. Like I went to college in Washington, D.C., and I don't hate them, but I cared so little about the Washington Redskins by the time I left D.C. just because they weren't my team. I understand if you're from the D.C. area why the Redskins would be your team, but if you're not a fan of a team and you move to a new market and you have to hear about that team all the time, it makes you hate that team so much more than you otherwise would. I mean, it will just drive you insane. There are people all over the country right now listening to us who know exactly what Quentin's talking about. And especially if you move at the time where your team ends up playing against their team and it's like being behind enemy lines. You have to hear all of the propaganda, all of the crap from people for a long time, right? Especially if this series goes for seven games. It's like two weeks. It's like playing somebody in the Super Bowl. The NBA playoffs can last for so long. It takes two weeks to play a seven-game series, and you got to hear all about it. Oh, it's awful. Mark in Wyoming. Mark, what's up? Hey, thanks for taking my call. First-time listener. Great show. I really enjoyed it today. Uh, I'm a Bible teacher, and I just wanted to answer the question for you and Jay about why the Jews don't get tattoos. Reason being is... When God created man, he made him in his own image and basically forbade them from marking their bodies. And those that study the Bible know that when the Jews went into the promised land, they were basically taking the land from the Canaanite people that were heathen, if you will. And I don't use that derogatorily, 
but um, and they had a custom of marking their bodies, tattooing their bodies, and so there is definite reason, and, and God does forbid them to do that. But good news for Jay, you don't go to hell because of it. You go to hell because you don't have faith in God. The other thing is, definitely, Manu Ginobili, that was worth it because the bottom line financially, they're going to play another seven games potentially. And, of course, if they go by some miraculous uh, work, if they get to the finals, everyone will look back to that and forget about all his bad play. Appreciate the call. Thank you, Clay. It was a great show. You bet. Never know which calls you're going to get. Mark in Wyoming, he calls in. He covers the biblical scholarship. Jeff Schwartz is on. We were discussing Jewish people getting tattoos. People out there like, what in the world? What did I miss today? Got to go to the podcast. Never have any idea what we're going to talk about. Got to go to the podcast. Mark calls in, breaks down Jewish people and tattoos, and then also moves along to good move by Manu Ginobili. Good range there. Good range from Mark to uh, to, to go from the, the history of tattoos from a biblical perspective to Manu Ginobili making the right decision to come back. You've changed your mind at all, Jeff? Uh, I mean, uh, Jason Martin, or are you still a hater? You still think Manu should have retired with Tim Duncan? I mean, I don't know. You've, you've sold it a little bit better. I mean, yes, it was a great moment. I don't think it's going to amount to much. I don't think it's going to add to his legacy. I don't think it's going to be talked about in the first paragraph when you're talking about Manu Ginobili. This is a dude that's won rings, that's won playoff games with game-winning shots. And if they were, if this were in the finals, I would have a completely different feeling about it but it happened in a semifinal series between two teams that I don't think have a chance in the next round so what a I think hater. that harms it and Such again like I said I, I felt like him and Tim walking off last year would have been a really appropriate way to have signified the end of an era Tony Parker still had something left we saw enough of that before he went down to see that I didn't Do you see think that Tim Duncan Manu. watched that play and wishes he was still playing I, I think he's wished he, he was still playing probably every day. It was really hard for him to walk away, and I understand that it's tough for an athlete that's gotten used to a certain way of life to do that. But Manu Ginobili last year was a major liability on the floor most of the time for the Spurs. This year, even more so. He made a block that may have won a game that could win a playoff series, and that is important. But I don't think that one moment should overshadow the fact that, that Manu could have left in a better way because that's not you said what's the lasting memory I guess you could say that's the lasting memory but it's not because he's still going to play more and if he plays in the next series and loses he's still going to go out a loser they're not going to be talking about that block as but his most lasting go memory out, most people go out loser I, I think that's that right, when I say when I say to. lasting memory I mean it's the last memory that most people will have of Manu Ginobili's maybe, career maybe. like and most people are not going to remember I mean unless he like just goes totally rogue and suddenly like you know murder somebody like LeBron James as he's going to the basket or Steph Curry or whoever they finish their season against and you know it turns into a huge controversy most people are probably when they think about Manu Ginobili's career ending I think they're going to think about that block uh, at least for the short term and then you're going to think of a ton of different plays that you saw over the years but to me that plot that block is just such an iconic play and it just perfectly feeds into what we would expect Manu Ginobili to do, right? Like, there is, like, even though Kobe, when he went for 60 or whatever it was in his final game, that was perfect for the way for Kobe to go out, right? Mm -hmm. Because you want a gunslinger to go out as a gunslinger. Even if Kobe took 45 shots or whatever the hell he did to get to 60 points in that final game, it's just that that's perfect to personify what Kobe Bryant was. Yeah. And to me, for Manu Ginobili... 
that's the perfect way for him to go out too. Like Kobe Bryant finished on a Laker team that won 20 games or whatever the heck it was. They were atrocious. One of the reasons they were atrocious is because they gave Kobe Bryant big money to finish his career and stay there with the Lakers, and he had this long goodbye tour. But I think most people, when they think about Kobe Bryant now, they think about his career ending and they think about that final game. They don't think about the fact that the Lakers won 20 games and they were awful in his final season and that he was so bad in his final season that the Lakers season ended in the regular season, right? They didn't even have a chance to make the playoffs, and that was the way his career ended. I think for most people, they'll think in the same way they do about Kobe, like the memory burnishes itself and becomes better with time. It's the same reason, by the way, that every parent on earth ends up believing that their Disney World vacation, which was hellish while they were in the middle of it for all of the details potentially, 10 years from now, it's like, man, that was the greatest time we ever had in our life because everything in retrospect is golden-hued. And I think that block for Manu Ginobili will be the same thing even though Jason Martin is an awful hater uh, well, of Argentinians. Let's yeah, go yeah. Let's go Thank to you. trending now, and then we'll be back on the flip side with uh, the anonymous mailbag. I am Clay Travis. This is Fox Sports Radio. Welcome back. Fox Sports Radio Studios brought to you by GEICO. Easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with GEICO. Go to GEICO.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. I am Clay Travis. You are listening to Outkick the Coverage. And as part of that, let me go ahead and tell you as well that uh, with True Car, you can find out what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for and on average save over three grand off MSRP. Whether you're looking for a new or used car, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Every Wednesday, we try to bring you at least one question from the anonymous mailbag. Now, if you're not familiar with the anonymous mailbag, you're basically wasting your life because it's the most entertaining daily written column that appears on the internet every single Tuesday that features anonymous questions sent to me on Outkick the Coverage. It really is insanely popular. Uh, You guys send me outstanding questions. My email address is public. It's claytravis at gmail.com. Anybody can reach out to me at any point in time. And many of you send me your questions, which I guarantee anonymity for. And one of them this week had to do with an intriguing decision about a strip club in New Orleans and the would-be bride's reaction to it. Cue the music, boys. You've got mail, mother Anonymous mail, bang! Clay, my boys and I just got back from a bachelor party in New Orleans. We had a freaking great time, one for the books. Nobody died or got arrested, so it was a successful bachelor party, or so we thought. I'm sitting in my cube this morning, miserable, reviewing the weekend in my head, pounding waters and hating my life when I receive a text from said bachelor saying, quote, so she's pissed. I had to tell her something. So I told her I got motorboated once and now she's saying I cheated on her and that she wants to cancel the wedding. So dramatic, unquote. All involved clearly think this is ridiculous, except, of course, the bride. This is literally the worst, best thing that happened to him all weekend and he didn't even ask for it. We paid the stripper and told her he was the bachelor, but she's flipping out. She's already started canceling meetings for planning the wedding. So my question is, is this cheating? No. I think that any woman out there, or man for that matter, who thinks that a stripper performance at a bachelor or bachelorette party is cheating is a total loser And if you are engaged to somebody who would believe this, you need to break off the engagement and call off the wedding. If I were this guy, I would preemptively call off the wedding myself because she's considering 
trying to cancel the wedding herself. First of all, I don't believe she's going to cancel the wedding. All right? I think she's trying to get your attention and make it seem like she's a victim because you got freaking motorboated at New Orleans on Bourbon Street. Here's the deal. How out of tune is this chick if she thinks that a New Orleans bachelor party on Bourbon Street that ends in a motorboating in a freaking strip club as part of a bachelor party dance is somehow a, a horrible event? Like, If that's your standard for what's unacceptable behavior, then I have no idea how you live the rest of your life. Now, you're welcome to bury your head in the sand and be like, oh my God, my husband likes boobs and he likes another woman's boobs and they touched my husband's face during a motorboating incident at a at a strip club. If that's your standard for acceptable human behavior or acceptable husband behavior, then either your husband's going to have to lie to you for the rest of his life or you're marrying a total and complete loser because this is nothing in the grand scheme of things. Moreover, I think this bride... If she talked to, like, her grandparents and her grandma, they'd be like, yeah, honey, you're a loser. Like, even old people would think that she is overreacting to this. And I think what he has to do, I, if I were advising him, I would say, dude, you got to call off the wedding yourself. You're marrying an awful human being who is going to try to control you for the rest of your life, and this is not going to be enjoyable for you. No way on earth this is cheating. If this is her standard for cheating, this isn't about cheating. This is about controlling you, whether you're a guy or a girl. Same thing I would say to a girl. If you get a Chippendale stripper and he dances around on you and then you tell your boyfriend about it or your fiancé and he's upset and he's talking about canceling the wedding, you need to go ahead and cancel the wedding. Takes a lot of balls to cancel a wedding. I don't believe this chick is going to actually cancel the wedding, but if she's willing to do it or even consider it on a serious fashion, you should make a power move here and cancel the wedding yourself and go back on the free agent market because you can do better. Around the horn, good advice, bad advice. Is it, anybody think that this is cheating? Absolutely not. I mean, you have to expect this, right? Like, I'm sure that there are a lot of women out there that wouldn't necessarily like the idea of what happened there, but they have to accept reality, especially being in New Orleans, especially the situation. I don't know that they were at a strip club or if they hired a stripper, but that's completely irrelevant. The bigger issue to me, and I, you did make this point, is – if she's going to flip out over this, you need to head for the hills as fast as possible. Like, this needs to be like a two-minute joke from her, and then she needs to take her top off and motorboat him. <laughs> That's what I think she should do. If she really wants to defuse this situation, same thing as Jim McElwain coming out and saying, yeah, I humped the shark. It was it was a good deal. We talked about that earlier on in the show. It's like, if she's just like, you know what, honey, if that's what you like, and then she does it. Like, what, you know, have fun with this. Like, it's a bachelor party. How many movies, how many TV shows, how many songs? How many times have we seen these stories? How many times have we heard these stories or lived through these stories? This is not an aberration. This is not weird. This dude did not bang some other chick. She And actually, the stripper motorboated him, but that's exactly what you're supposed to see in a bachelor party. If she is this way, not only is she a loser, she's absolutely not worth marrying. It's completely ridiculous and indefensible. Also, if she knew he was going to New Orleans on his bachelor party, if you are going to be such a controlling bitch that you will not allow somebody to go on a bachelor party, which some people do, 
and you won't allow people to go to New Orleans. Like, so instead he has to go like on a raft trip in Utah or something, right? So it's like, oh, I don't want any strippers around. So let's send my hus- my future husband to like the middle of the wilderness with his friends to ensure that there's no nudity that ever gets involved, right? Some people do these like uh, these like hiking trips and everything else. Do whatever you want. Like I've been on all different sorts of bachelor parties, but it should be the guy's choice. If you are dating somebody who is so controlling that she is trying to dictate the type of bachelor party that you can have, you shouldn't be with her. You should run for the hills in the opposite direction. I'm telling you the rest of your life is going to be miserable and or you're going to be lying to her for the rest of your life, right? And he's being honest here. He told her exactly what happened. I went to the strip club on Bourbon Street, and I got motorboated. I like boobs in my face. Screw me. You should right now. Danny G and Justin, any defending the bride here, or should he call the wedding off? No, there's no defense whatsoever, Clay. I mean, that's what this is for. That's what that night is for. I, in fact, I mean, I, I'd say why even end it there? I, I say like, you know, anything you know short of a happy ending, you know, like even that should be, you know, it's your last day as a single man. <laughs> I, I think that bachelor party, like as long as you don't bring back herpes from from right, New Orleans, exactly, right? As long exactly. as you, now, I understand if you come back with herpes and you give your fiance herpes from some uh, shady bachelor uh, party uh, shenanigans, but the motorboating, look, I mean that is so tame in the grand scheme of things. Like, I would here's an easy way to think about it. Like, would you take your own brother-in-law? Right? Like, it's kind of awkward if you're on the bachelor party with your own brother-in-law. Would you even blink? This guy's about to marry your sister or your sister-in-law. If you want to flip it the other way. Whatever the whatever the female equivalent of the motorboat is, like it's probably like a a, a g-stringed uh, groin to the head, right? Like I'm imagining that that's probably like a thrusting mechanism or something. I've fortunately never seen male strippers perform, but I'm guessing that's probably the equivalent of the motorboat. If you would do that and not even blink about it, and or do it in front of potentially even your father-in-law, there are some people who take really awkward bachelor party trips, and their own father-in-law, future father-in-law, is there. Like, would you even blink at that? Like, I would. I have sons, but if I had a daughter and I was at my future son-in-law's bachelor party and he got a stripper and she motorboated him, like, I wouldn't even blink at that as being, like, remotely unacceptable behavior. I can't imagine that anybody else would either who isn't a total loser. Danny G, your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, there's one extreme over here and then one over here. She's far to the right because far to the left would be extra host Mario Lopez, do you remember what happened with him, how his uh, fiance dumped him after what he did at his no, bachelor party? No, what did he do? Uh, let's just say I think he had relations with uh, the stripper. One of I the strippers wouldn't expect anything less from A.C. Slater, <laughs> to be honest. Like, you know what? I might bang A.C. Slater if I showed up and it was his bachelor party, and I have an unblemished record of heterosexuality. <laughs> right, so there's a big difference between Mar- pulling a Mario Lopez and motorboating. So even if you're somewhere in the middle – that's all right, as long as it doesn't go over to the Mario Lopez side. Got to break the wedding off. Have some balls. Break the wedding off because the rest of your life is going to be miserable. She's a controlling bitch. Don't allow her to control you. She's threatening to cut to cut the wedding off. You got to power move it here. You got to take it to the next level. Sometimes when you get into a fight, you need to defuse the situation. Here, you take it to the next level. You're not married yet. When you're married, you got to defuse situations. You don't want to get divorced. You're not married yet. When she says, I'm going to cancel the wedding, you go right back at her and say, know what? You're not canceling the wedding because I'm canceling the wedding. She won't have any idea what to do. It's like the same thing that I do anytime people say they're offended by me. I'm like, you know what? I'm offended that you're offended. Great line from an Eminem song. It totally 
The person who is offended thinks that they're the only person that has the right to be offended. They have no idea how to respond when you play the next card on them. Like, oh, yeah, well, I'm offended that you're offended. It just ends right there. They have no idea what to do because they think only they can be offended. As soon as you're offended that they're offended, their world blows up. They have no idea how to respond. That's what that guy should do. Fiance walks in, I'm canceling the wedding. You write deadpan right back to her. Don't even blink. Be like, that's not happening because I just canceled the wedding. Boom. Next thing you know, you know what she's doing? She's begging to motorboat you and get you back. She's not canceling the wedding. No fiance wants to cancel her wedding. Too much effort has already gone into planning it. She'd rather get married to you and get divorced six months right now from now than she would cancel the wedding. Trust me. I'm Clay Travis. You're listening to Outkick the Coverage. Final segment of the show coming up next. Is it time for Tebow Watch? Perhaps. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios. Great news. Quick way you could save money. Switch to Geico. Go to geico.com and in 15 minutes you could save 15% or more on car insurance. I'm Clay Travis. Final segment of the show. If you missed earlier parts of the show, you're waking up now. Go download the podcast, Outkick the Coverage. You can find it on iTunes. Great shows all day long coming your way, obviously. Colin Cowherd, Doug Gottlieb, Dan Patrick. Uh, get hooked up now. Go download those podcasts, and you'll be entertained all day. Best lineup anywhere in sports talk radio. And speaking of the best lineup anywhere, it's Tim Tebow, and it's time for Tim Tebow Watch. The son of God attempting to climb the minor league baseball ranks. He's right now in single A with the Columbia Fireflies. And what did he do last night? We go to Jason Martin at Jmart Outkick for Tebow Watch. Folks, just one more game since our last Tebow Watch. Actually, back on Monday against the Lakewood Blue Claws. And Columbia actually won one against these guys. A 5-1 final. They lost the first three of four, but they won that one. Now 15 of 16 on the season. That's good for a third-place tie with Asheville in the South Atlantic League's Southern Division. Tim Tebow hitting in sixth and playing left field. One for four with a single. Also a strikeout. Didn't change Tebow's average, which is still at 242. He still has no RBIs since April the 16th. Right now, this very second, the Gator Messiah is in Salisbury, Maryland for three games against the Delmarva Shorebirds, then four more on the road in New Jersey against the same Lakewood Blue Claws the Fireflies just finished playing four against. Columbia playing seven games in seven days, all on the road. They won't be back in South Carolina until May the 18th. Tebow batting 152 on the road compared to 290 at home. Also, 303 in day games, just 210 at night. All three games with Delmarva, evening matchups. So we'll see if Timothy can end the away plague and deliver bread and fishes to Fireflies fans <laughs> up north. And that has been Tebow Watch for this Wednesday, May 10th, 2017. And Timothy saw it, and he saw that it was good. Let's glow, Fireflies. I'm so excited. Jason Martin just really taking over the Tebow watch. Lots of weak starts early. Big-time performance of late. Do you think that Tebow believes it's Jim McElwain naked on the back of that shark? That's what I want to hear from Tebow. Somebody needs to ask Tebow. If you're listening and you're going to be covering one of those games or you're going to see Tim Tebow, need to get Tebow on the record about whether or not he thinks it's Jim McElwain, Florida Gator coach, naked on the back of the shark. One of you just texted me, or texted me, one of you just tweeted me, and you can find me on Twitter at Clay Travis and said that 
Twitter definitely or Google definitely believes it is Jim McElwain because it is the top result now when you go on Google and you type in Jim McElwain, or actually just Jim, the result, if you type in Jim right now, according to this guy's search, Jim, the top result is Jim McElwain shark. That's how viral the picture has gone. That if you type in, somebody else can try that right now. You guys try it out in LA. One of you get on Google right now and type in Jim and see if it starts to populate Jim McElwain shark. Or if you type in Jim McElwain, do we have a report on that confirmation? Um, again, I think that's uh, absolutely hysterical how that story has spread. And if you haven't heard it, Jim McElwain has fervently denied, steadfastly denied, it is him naked on the back of a shark in the back of a boat. First and foremost, I don't know who it is, but it isn't me. Clearly. <laughs> I mean, it's, what, what you're just feeling in general, just that something like this I, could even get out there and become a story. Well, I guess that's for you guys to answer. And, you know, in the world we live, what is a story? I just know this. It isn't me. This is such a hysterical story, and taking it so seriously in that response, like Jim McElwain did, actually makes me think it is him. Like, when I was looking at the pictures and I was confirming them, like looking at the face, I have no idea what Jim McElwain's bare butt looks like. But, and hopefully it looks better than that guy's did in the picture. (laughs) But when I look at this, like, initially, I thought it was just really funny. But when you take a story that's ridiculous like this, even if it were true, it's such a ridiculous story. When you take it and take it seriously, like he did in that response, it like you know how uh, if you deny something too aggressively, it makes you believe it's more likely? I guarantee everybody out there listening right now has maybe you got a kid or maybe you got maybe it's your spouse or somebody else or, a kid, or you're a teacher or an employee or something. And you think that somebody didn't do something, but then when you quiz them about it, they're so aggressive in the way that they respond and respond and say they didn't do it. It makes me believe they're more likely that they did. Like I bust my six-year-old on this all the time. He he, I like I'll be I'll be kind of thinking maybe he did it. Maybe it was one of his other brothers. I have no idea. But he's so aggressive in saying that it wasn't him that I'm like, dude, you just gave yourself up. I know it was you. If you've been like, no, it wasn't me. Like I'd be like, okay. But if you are guilty enough that you go steadfast denial, you oversell the fact that it wasn't you, that tells me that it was you. I think I'm moving on to the Jim McElwain was the naked guy Clay, on top of Clay, the shark. If, it, if it's not him and it's the Jimmy John's guy, which is the other argument, can you ever eat another sandwich from Jimmy John's again? 100%. I'm more likely to eat a Jimmy John's because the guy posed horrifying. naked on the back of a shark. That's horrifying. I think that's just a guy paying off a bet. If you're out deep sea fishing and somebody says, we're going to catch a shark, and you say no, and you say, you know what? I'm so sure we're not going to catch a shark that if we catch one, I'm going to get naked and you can take my picture on him. I'd be more likely to go out deep sea fishing with that guy. That's who I want to have a beer with, the guy who gets naked and gets his picture taken with the shark. That's a fun time on the deep sea fishing trip. I'm Clay Travis. I'm clothed right now on Fox Sports Radio. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. 
With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. Give your glucose alerts and readings from the G7. Do not match symptoms or expectations. Use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.